0: You made it. I'm impressed. You know, I, uh, we're good. comrade, don't go anywhere. We're going to pray for you. I'm just, uh, I'm just really. I, when I saw the snow come down, I was like, man, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be good. And you, uh, you came. I'm so happy. This is good for a Brit. I still get slightly excited whenever I see snow because this, this is just not something that we ever experience. Um, so it's good. But you're a little quiet. I'm sensing. So. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, we can relax a bit and enjoy the Word of God together. Before we do that, we're going to pray for Conrad. He is off to Australia, right? And uh, why don't you tell us what it is you're going to go and do, and then we are going to pray for you, whether you like it or not. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 36 in Brisbane, which is where I'm going to be moving. Oh, wonderful. I know. Praise God. So straight to summer. Um, yeah. <laughs> from a really young age, uh, God put it on my heart to become a dentist and work in healthcare and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, it's cool being seven years from that initial moment and finally about to start the education on that and stuff. Yeah, it's so, very cool. Yeah, I'm about to move to Australia one week today. Wow. And, uh, yeah, for five years. <laughs> so, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So five year program, but you've already just you've just finished the program, right? Just I've just finished my bachelor of science, and now right. I got another five years on right. top of that. So. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, my init- my immediate reaction whenever I'm around a dentist, and we do have a dentist in the congregation. I don't know if he's here. Is uh, is he here? Is our is our resident days? We got lots of doctors, and we got a dentist. Is just to try and hide my British teeth. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> But I've been told that as far as British teeth go, I got pretty good teeth. So praise the Lord for that. But um, yes, the Brits are well known for their dentistry. Um, anyway, let's pray for Conrad. If you know Conrad, if he is part of your young adult community, young adults should definitely come up. You know, he's part of a vibrant community group. And, uh, and if you just feel like you want to come and pray for him, then please do. And um, that'd, be, that'd be wonderful. I'll take that off you. And, uh, let's uh, thank you. <laughs> There we go. All right, let's pray. Guys, come up on stage. You get to see what I see. Yeah, yeah. Let's lay hands on him. Gather around. Oh, Lord, we thank you, God, for Conrad. Lord, we thank you for first and foremost, Lord, for his faith in you. Lord, I've known this young man a long time now and Lord, it's just been great to see how he has flourished in the knowledge of you, Lord, the way he has served you, the way, Lord, that he stands upon your truth and Lord, I'm thankful that he's unapologetic about the God that he believes in, that he stands on, that he represents well. Lord, I thank you for his understanding and knowledge of your word and the God that he loves to engage in conversation and discussion around that. Father we pray now as he goes to Australia that God that uh, that you would not only go with him Lord but we pray for a thriving there Lord we pray that you would that Lord not only would he learn uh, the trade of dentistry but Lord that he would learn deeply about you that God that he would find a bit plugged into a great church that Lord he would find church family there and community and that Lord that as he steps out in this wonderful profession That, God, that he truly, and I know his heart is to serve you with it. That, God, that you would use him powerfully in his training as well as, Lord, in the future. So, God, we pray a blessing upon him. Comrade, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, God, that you would fill him from head to toe just in the same way you anointed David from head to toe with your oil of anointing. That, God, right now, Lord, we lay hands on him. And, Lord, we pray that you would anoint him from head to toe, that he would go in your presence, go in your understanding, that, Lord, he would have a fresh revelation in the knowledge of his Lord and Savior, God, that he might know you and the power of your resurrection. We ask these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, mate. So a week on Sunday, uh, and you'll keep in touch, right? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, Comrades Family's part of the congregation and it's wonderful. Can I just ask for the lights just to be dipped slightly, um if possible there, Tim? I don't know, or Norm. Just the ones in my in my eyes, that would be that would be great. Um lovely. We're um I think this is our fourth Sunday in um in looking at the Lord's Press. So, um let me uh let me encourage you, just go to Matthew chapter six. Um, If this is your first time here, then we are working through the Lord's Prayer um, line by line, uh, sometimes word by word. Um, We believe that this prayer is significant because this is the template, if you like, that Jesus gave us. In the first week, I talked about how if we really want to be part of this revolution called Christianity... Then with the whole of Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount part of Matthew is about this revolutionary way of living. And then Jesus, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts talking about how we should pray. And so then we jumped into our Father, uh, the intimacy uh, that we find in knowing God as our Father, that not everybody can pray this prayer. That was a bit of a surprise for me when I started meditating and thinking about it, because not everybody can actually say relationally that God is their Father. That in some way the Scripture talks about everybody being His children, but to have that relationship where we can say Abba, Father, is unique to those who come uh, in belief and understanding of Jesus Christ. So that was the second week. And then we jumped into In Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name last week. Um, and so, the, so we had the intimacy which was our father and then we had the infinite in heaven and then hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? Holify your name. Let your name be hallowed in my life, in the lives of those people that, we, uh, that we're around and those people we're living with. So this week... As I started studying, I actually started studying a couple of weeks ago, uh, Your Kingdom Come, and then uh, a week on Sunday, we'll be talking about Your Will Be Done. These, these two statements, especially Your Will Be Done, is a very challenging statement because of uh, belief about what God's will is about and how it affects us. But this week, Your Kingdom Come, as I said in our very first week, when you start studying the, the Lord's Prayer, it's like, if you remember the analogy I used, it's like a grandfather clock. It's this beautiful, uh, familiar uh, standard of time, if you like. It's simple in what it does. It tells the time and you can enjoy it and, and enjoy uh, the simplicity of the prayer. But then if you actually start taking it apart, there's an intricacy and a, and a, and a, a depth that actually you need an understanding of what some of the mega themes in the Bible are. Uh, before you can truly pray it deeply, and this statement, "Your kingdom come truly is one of those statements. "Your kingdom come um, norm, just so you know you can just show the scriptures rather than my points because uh, uh, and i 'll ask for when they go up and stuff that that would be good when i come when I come to prepare, um, I do so very prayerfully i don 't I don't, uh, even though we're going through and really the scripture is dictating my next sermon, I really do pray and spend time thinking about what it is that I want to communicate on a Sunday. This is far from just a, this is what we do at this time on Sunday uh, because, you know, we do worship, we do the announcements, now we do a sermon and then off we go, yet we've checked the box, that's church done because I truly believe deeply that we are called to far more, than that. That we, uh, as Christians, we're actually called to something that is, is far deeper than maybe we'll actually really understand until we get to the other side of eternity. I want the sermons to be impactful, but also something that's going to affect and, and change you, that it's going to ignite some thoughts. It's going to ignite some burden. It's going to ignite some uh, sense of God's presence that in 20, 30, 50 years' time, you're going to go, that, that sermon, those words actually changed the trajectory of my life. That's how seriously I take my sermon preparation because in this statement, your kingdom come, really is this succinct way of God saying why we exist. It's about His kingdom. His kingdom. Your kingdom come. And, and it's an unusual statement because like last week, we, we asked the question, hallowed be your name. Why are we praying that God would holy fire His name? And so you can listen to last week's message in order to, to grapple with that. But again, this statement, your kingdom come. What is it that we're actually praying for? Your kingdom come. By definition, the word kingdom means that we have a king or a queen, a, a royalty. That's what a kingdom is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a realm, it's a, a, an administration, it's a government, if you like, that is being ruled by a king or by a queen. And their priorities, their focus, their values in, uh, are, are what sets the standard in that kingdom for its citizens to actually follow. And you would hope that a good king or a good queen uh, would cause, would be a, uh, would facilitate flourishing in that kingdom. It's a little bit like having a a, a coach um, for a soccer team or a rugby team or an, another uh, American football or Canadian football, or hockey, whatever it might be. the The, the coach is such a Uh, A vital part of that team. If you get a good coach, then the team flourish. If you get a poor coach, the team struggle. And it's exactly the same when it comes to kingdom. All the way through the Old Testament, you will see example time and time again of when the kingdom, the land, flourished or it actually came under some kind of curse. And, And it really did follow whether the king or the queen or the judge at that time was flourishing in God, then the land would flourish. So when we talk about kingdom, we're actually talking about a land or a government or its administration, a way of life, if you like, that will either flourish or it won't. It's as simple as that. That's what we mean by kingdom. Your kingdom come. Now, when you become a Christian, you become a citizen, the scripture says, of a future kingdom. So this is where the Bible actually talks in different tenses. See, we're living in the in-between. See, Jesus came in the first advent... And he said the kingdom has come. In some sense, the kingdom of God came when Jesus came. He set the standard. This is what the kingdom of God looks like, sounds like. You want to know what God is like? Then read the New Testament, the Gospels, and you will see a great example of what uh, what God is like through the life of Jesus. And so we live in the in-between because there's also the kingdom come, the Jesus returning, that that God is going to come with a new heaven and a new earth. And you might have different theology as to when and how and whether it's pre, post, amillennial or whatever and we're not getting into that. I preached on some of that a couple of years ago. But either way, regardless, we believe as Christians that Jesus came and he's going to come again. And we were chatting in the prayer room this morning. with I was chatting with Davey and Drew and I remember being uh, in my early 20s and there was a big emphasis, especially as a teenager actually, on when we were in the middle of the kind of uh, there, there was a real strong feeling that there may be a nuclear war. I remember when I was like 13, 14, 15, and in the 80s there, there was this tension and there was this end of the world, and Christians were just passionate about predicting everything. I mean, you trip on a stair, somebody's going to say, Yeah, that was in Daniel. That's a, you know, the Revelation predicted that. Gorbachev's got something on his head. That's 666, number of the beast. This is this is the kind of. Do you remember? Do you remember that time? Was that like in Canada? You you couldn't turn the news on without thinking, the end of the world is coming. I remember consciously believing as a teenager and a young adult. I don't want Jesus to return. I've got stuff to do. I've got places to go and see, like Canada. I got I got I got a, I, I want to find a wife. I want to have children. I want to be successful. Jesus, don't come back. Was really how I used to think, and I think. Part of us kind of feels that way. But the reality is, I think, and I preached on this a little while back, if we could have an understanding of the hope that awaits us when Jesus does return, the new heaven, the new earth, where all injustice gone, no oppression, sickness is gone, there is no sadness, there is no sin, there is joy and there is complete and there is, there is absolute perfection. The kingdom come. But we live in the in-between. We don't have that. And yet, this prayer is saying, yes, we want that to come, but it's also saying we want kingdom now. We want kingdom now. That God let your kingdom, everything that represents your kingship, now in, in my life. And let's be honest, friends. Is that the reality of our life? Is that the reality of our experience? that when we reflect on what is going on in our life, in our family, in our circles, in our friendships, in our employment, or in our business, or whatever it might look like, can we say that God's, please listen, God's kingdom, is it being reflected? Is it being shown in our words and our actions? Is God's kingdom and all that he stands for, is it reality for what we do on a day-to-day basis? Because we live in a very confused, lonely, evil world that is on a trajectory that feels like it's a hockey stick. I feel like it just kind of went on this trajectory towards decay, and then suddenly, it just feels like it's just on this trajectory of where our culture and society is heading towards uh, an end that sounds that feels like I, it's so confusing. It's so desperate, it's so oppressed, it's so lonely. And we have, a, we have a choice. As we live in the in-between, do we live in such a way where really, let's be honest, if society were to look at our lives, would they kind of go, you know what, I'm not seeing much difference there. There's the same challenges, same difficulties And and you know what? It's okay not to be okay. I've preached that. I understand that we're going to go through challenges. But do we also live in the hope of the kingdom come? Do we live in that understanding that Jesus is going to return and that we're called to show and live out the kingdom daily? And I would be, and I will, the scripture says, I'm actually going to be held to a higher account because of me teaching. The most loving thing I can do In this arena, in our community groups, in our prayer, and maybe even just one-on-one in coffee, the most loving thing I can do is to challenge and say, are we truly living out the in-between in a way that God has called us to as a church, as families, and as individuals? Or are we so focused on other kingdoms and other kings and other queens that we lose sight of who we actually are as citizens? One of the best ways for us to understand what Jesus is saying here is to look at another scripture, which is in Luke chapter six. If you have your Bible, then then please turn to that. Luke chapter six, very famous passage of scripture called the Beatitudes. Verse twenty says this and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said so just imagine Jesus got his disciples around him and he lifts his eyes and he looks at them he said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God there's that word blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied so he starts off by talking about the kingdom of God this is the framework, the lens he's saying okay you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like here we go For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Let's just pause there. What Jesus is describing there is the in-between. This is what the in-between looks like, my friends. Sounds like a party. Verse 24. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, when it comes to the beatitudes, we stop at verse 24. We like the blessed bit, even though it's a bit confusing. We don't quickly move on to the woes. Now, your, your Bible may say something different. I'm going to come to that in a second. But let's just pause here. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God under the kingship of God And you will flourish because you were designed to live that way. If you don't know Jesus, if you are still thinking about Christianity, let me tell you, there is a design on your life that has been placed in and on you by God right at the beginning of time. The Bible says that eternity has been placed in your heart. And so what we do outside of Jesus, we try really hard to try and fulfill that design in our own kingship, in our own rulership, and it doesn't work. We struggle, we, we, we chase after things in the hope that they will fulfill us and it doesn't work. So there's the God's kingdom and then Jesus goes on in verse 24 and he says, but there's another kingdom and I'm for just, just to, for reference, I'm going to call it the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world. So there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of man and one is blessed and one is woe. So let's just look at these woes for a second. Woe are you who are rich, woe to you who are full now, verse 25. And then you've got verse 26, uh, woe to you who laugh and woe to you who get spoken well of. Rich, well fed, laughing, spoken well of. Is Jesus saying if you're rich, not hungry, spoken well of so you have a good reputation and you enjoy a good laugh, is he saying that you're in the kingdom of man and it's woe to you? He's not saying that. Because it's under the lens of what the kingdom is. What he's describing is individual kings. He's saying this, if your king is to be rich, if your king is to be popular, if your king is to be powerful, if your king is to to have good people in your life, if your king is to have possessions, if that is your king, then the word woe literally means miserable. He's saying this, how awful for you that they are your king. If that is the kingdom that you live in. That's what he's literally saying. How awful for you. How terrible. What a terrible place to find yourself in. Which is kind of confusing. But you need to understand the reality of what Jesus is saying is that which we place on the throne of our lives, those that things that we make king, so That's all right, Norm, you can take that off. Just go back to the other scripture. That would be brilliant. There you go. Um, that which you place on the throne of your life becomes your king, and that is the kingdom that you live in. And he's saying, how awful for you. How miserable for you. Now, let's just think about this practically. When we look at our Christian lives, what is it truly, let's be honest with, at least be honest with yourself, What is it that actually sits on the throne of your life? Because you could spend time with me and say, hey, you know what, Jesus is the most important. He is the king. He is the kingdom that I live in. Or we can be absolutely honest with ourselves and do what the scripture says, which is examine ourselves and come before him and say, okay, truly, what lives on the throne of my life? What is the kingdom that I'm living in? And a good mark of that is whether or not you actually find yourself in a state of sometimes worry and misery and concern. He's saying, woe to you. Like, how awful for you. Because those things are only going to terminate on themselves. So let me give you an example. Let's say your king, your ultimate, your main thing is to find a relationship. So what you're going to do is those... Everything else, all your decisions are going to force or going to move towards that. So it could be possessions, it could be riches, it could be popularity, it could be ambition. You can replace it with whatever you want. It could be uh, being known, being whatever it might be. Let's say it's that is your focus, that is your king. You're going to start making decisions towards that, so that you will get that. So let's say it's relationships. You want that guy, you want that girl or you want a certain type of relationship, you're going to start choosing friends, jobs, life direction in order to try and get that. If your if you're king is being popular and being approved, then you're going to choose friends and pastimes and everything is going to go through that lens. And all it's going to result in is, is actually you're going to feel angst and frustration when you don't get that. And that's where the misery kicks in because you weren't designed for that. You weren't designed to chase after the thing that our culture says is the most important. Possessions, popularity, power, people, they all begin with P, coincidentally. Let's see, our culture says, make this your end. This is where you're going to find your joy. And Jesus says, no, Woe, woe to you. If that is what you are chasing, then how awful for you. Because that is the kingdom of mankind. And it will only bring you misery. It will only... And do you want proof of that? You want proof of what I'm saying is true? Let's take it from our own micro situations and let's look at our culture. Is it working? Is that chase actually resulting in flourishing, in peace, in joy? We have to be honest and say it's not. So when we pray, your kingdom come, what we're actually praying for is in the first part of the Beatitudes, which is this whole kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you if you are hated. So, wow, like I said, that that sounds that sounds pretty rough. So Jesus is saying that I've got to be poor, I've got to be hungry, I've got to weep, and I've got to be hated in order to be blessed. That sounds pretty rough. That doesn't make a great strapline marketing campaign for a church. Come to Willow Park Church. You'll be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Let's go. I mean, no, but if you actually say, hey, you're going to be... This sounds vaguely familiar. You're going to be, come to Jesus and you're going to be rich. That sounds familiar. Come to Jesus and, and you're going to get your life's dreams. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be happy. Come to Jesus and you're just going to laugh. and Because that is a gospel. And no, I'm going to take that back. That is not a gospel. That is a lie. That is preached from some churches. Come to Jesus and you're going to be rich. Whereas Jesus actually literally says the opposite. <laughs> Which is where I, I don't understand where the theology comes from because he literally says, no, 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 no. If you make your king riches, then you're going to be how awful and miserable for you. But you make your king poverty. You make your king hunger. You make your king weeping. You make your king people being, hate, hating you. Then you're going to be blessed. So what is Jesus actually saying? in the same way that he's not saying if you're rich you're cursed remember it's the worship of riches it's the kingship of riches that's going to be the curse he's saying exactly the same thing when it comes to poverty and hunger and weeping and we need to look at it through the lens of what is actually the rest of the scripture says so let me give you an example you turn back to Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, sorry Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32 Actually, thirty-one. Same passage as the prayer, as the as the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat?" Sounds familiar, right? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things. You see this seeking after. That's the point that Jesus is saying. You seek after riches. You seek after not being hungry. You seek after popularity. Then those things are actually going to bring misery to you. So he says later on, don't be like those people. For they seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows that we need money. He knows that we need to be able to laugh and have community and enjoy those things. But then he says this, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what does the poverty and everything else mean? It's those who are poor in spirit. It's those people, who, those people who are going to be blessed, those that are going to flourish, those that are truly citizens of the kingdom are those that recognize that they are poor without him. That we're in desperate need of a God. God that were are in desperate need of saving. Those that are hungering after righteousness. Those that are actually making their life's ambitions to know him and the power of his resurrection, like Paul says. See, this is where it's easy for us, where we can sit down within 20 minutes with a good cup of coffee and a journal, we can actually start identifying what it is that we're seeking. What are those kings? What are the kingdoms that we find ourselves living in or at least have a foot in? Because is the kingdom that you are seeking recognizing that you're poor in spirit without him, that you need him? Is the kingdom existing where you are hungering after righteousness? Which is a strange thing to say because I've also preached from this pulpit that when you become a Christian, you are given righteousness. You have a robe of righteousness. So what does it mean to seek after that? It's looking at how that righteousness can be reflected in every aspect of your life. Those who weep. Can we go back to that scripture, Norm? Those who weep. It's talking about compassion. And I love what the Delcotts are doing and the coldest night. I love that. That is part of being compassionate. But can I tell you, and I know that Wendy and Grant would give a vigorous amen to this. Later, maybe. You could turn up for that walk. And you can give the money and not be compassionate nor weep. You can, you can turn up and you can throw a check at something and have zero compassion. Do you remember when there was all those thousands of people that Jesus wanted to feed? And, he, and it says this in John, I think it's John chapter 6. It says he lifts up his eyes and was filled with compassion. live like this. We don't just put our eyes down. We shield them. We sometimes... We just don't lift up our eyes and see and be filled with compassion. Where does true compassion come from? Can you decide, this is a good, uh, good conversation to have around with dinner with your kids. How do you develop compassion? Tomorrow, I'm going to be compassionate. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to give. Well, you can give. We just said that. You can give without being compassionate. So how are you going to become compassionate? Well, in the same way that you become humble. Today, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to, wow, I'm going to be so humble today. You watch. I'm going to get myself a t-shirt and say humble with an arrow pointing at me. I mean, you can't decide to be humble. You can't decide to be compassionate. Where do they come from? They come from, they emerge out of seeking after righteousness. They emerge from recognizing that we're poor in spirit. Because if we recognize we're poor in spirit, what we're doing is we're actually placing ourselves in the right understanding of who we really are. You can have all the riches in Kelowna and still not be poor in spirit. Alternatively, you can be the richest person in Kelowna or Canada or the world and be poor in spirit and be compassionate and recognize that without God, you are bankrupt. That's poor in spirit. So it's not about money It's about whether that money is the king. So Jesus is saying you should weep for the compassion actually results in joy. What a beautiful thing in the the coldest night for people and there will be many. I'm not making any judgments. But when somebody comes deeply compassionate with a heart broken for the needs of the lost in their city and the poor and they come, wow, there is joy in that. There's joy to be found. Do we do it for the joy? No, no. We do it because Jesus set the example. He became poor. He became broken. He became compassionate. And then it says, blessed are you when people hate you. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? You're going to be hated. So, would it be fair for me to ask or say, if there's no one in your life right now who hates you, are we truly living out the kingdom of God? Or are we busily trying to make sure that we're popular with people and we hate the thought of people not, like, uh, um, not, not liking us? That's bad grammar. We hate the thought of being disliked. There you go, that's better. That we work hard to make sure that we're accepted, but really, if we actually stand upon what we believe the Bible says, you're going to be hated. So here's the thing says in Timothy that there will days will come that within the church that people will chase after bad teaching. If you actually go with what the Bible says you're going to be unpopular. And you would be surprised at how much criticism not from people necessarily in the church but how much criticism pastors at will apart get for actually preaching the truth. Because you can find somebody with a doctorate that's going to tell you that it's okay for you to marry somebody of the same sex. You, you can find a Christian that says that. You can go to their teaching and go, I'm fine. In fact, you can, you can find anybody that teaches anything with a doctorate on it and say, well, they say it's okay. It's okay for me to have sex before I'm married. Because this person said, actually, I'm not sure about Hell. I don't think hell exists because this person, who's a really popular teacher, says hell doesn't exist. We're all going to get a second chance. So therefore, it must be true. You see, that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says there's going to be a day coming when the church actually chases after wrong teaching. They're going to look for teaching that actually makes them happy. And so if you come to the Bible, and I'll be honest with you, people don't necessarily stay at the South very long because I say this, (laughs) ironically, it's not like we need extra chairs. People don't like to hear what the scripture actually says, because if you stand upon what the scripture actually says, you're going to get hated. And Jesus says you're going to flourish in that. Can you see how it's so countercultural? It's the upside down kingdom. It's the revolution. So he's saying, "Here's the kingdom of God." And we're praying, "Your kingdom come." that your kingdom looks like this flourishing. The people of the kingdom look like this and they are flourishing and they're blessed and they're happy. They're in alignment with what we've been designed to be, that we're recognizing the value and the priority of God is different than the kings and the queens that the world would say. But in there is misery as proved by looking at our culture. So Jesus said, this is a better way to live. But if you live this way, you're going to get hated. You're going to get excluded. And then we have to ask ourselves the question then, how do we pray for this? What does that look like? What's it look like to pray for the kingdom to come? I think there's four ways. I think I have a slide at the end there, Norm. Four ways. Number one, keep mind, poor, poor Norm's doing a great job because I have gone so far off my notes. I haven't even got my iPad on. I've just got the Bible going here, so, you know, keep going. These are all great points, by the way. I should have preached this. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, we're on this one now. See? I'm back on track. All right. Next one. Keep going, Norm. Right. Four ways. Look at that formatting. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. That's not Norm. That's that's. You're doing great, Norm. First way, four ways that we pray your kingdom come. Number one, Don't try not to skip ahead, because... These are each important. Number one, pray for the gospel to be shared. The ultimate way for God's kingdom to come is for people to come to know Jesus. It's the ultimate way. For kingdom to come, people need to know Jesus. And we are called by Jesus to pray for people who don't know him. So tomorrow night when we get together... And it might be eight foot deep by then, I don't know, but we're going to join together in the room for Willow on Prayer and I'd love for you to come. We're going to pray, amongst other things, for his kingdom to come in our neighborhoods, for his kingdom to come in our families, in our children's lives, in our workplaces. For his kingdom to be lifted up, that they would come to know Jesus, that the gospel would be shared and that Christians would have the boldness to speak it. That Christians would have the compassion to speak it. We're going to pray for that. Secondly, you pray for his kingdom priorities to come. That injustice and oppression and abuse and all those horrible things that our culture seems to thrive in. That his kingdom, his priorities, his excellence, his love, his beauty, as shown in the lives of Christians, would shine in those areas. That his priorities would come into our city. That kids would stop dying in our city, that young adults from wealthy families suffering with deep anxiety and depression in some way kindled by the culture that they have been brought up in, the schools that they go to, the social media they're addicted to, whatever it might be, that kids would stop dying in our city, that his kingdom would come. That God's kingdom would be deeper in us and more real to us. That we would seek and chase after righteousness. That we would get up earlier and put aside the excuses and get on our knees and pray. That we'd come to the prayer meeting. And this is not a drive-by guilting. This is genuine Jesus talk that would actually prioritize the kingdom, that we would want to seek him and seek him first, that we would get up earlier, stay up later, stay up all night, fast and pray, whatever it might be, and say that I might know him. Because what did Jesus say in John 17 was the number one way that we were going to revolutionize our world is by us abiding in him. By abiding in Him, that that means that we spend time with Him, that we, we spend time listening to Him and praying. And if there is any other priority in our life, we need to do away with it. And we pray that our church and Christians in this city would seek first the kingdom of God. And then finally, they would pray that He would come back quick. That His... Beauty and joy and love would come his new kingdom his new earth and new heaven where he sits on the throne that all of the injustice will be righted that we pray that he would come so those four things are what we're praying for specifically but for us to understand what we're really praying for we have to start with ourselves and say which king are we serving? Which kingdom do we live in? I have been tremendously convicted about that this week. I mean, I get convicted every week and I prep. Sometimes, truthfully, that this happened with uh, your will be done, I was like, okay, Lord, I know this is going to be rough on me. Because as soon as I start prepping, it's like, okay, I, I have to pray about this because this, this is not how I'm living. And I I confess I need to pray more. I confess I need to be hated more. I confess that I need to weep more. And it starts with us personally examining ourselves and confessing under the conviction, the beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, what kingdom are we truly serving? What distractions are we pulling into our lives? What excuses are we making? So this sermon is one of those where it's a kind of a, okay, you know, really, really, this is the most important thing right now that we can be praying for. What kingdom, what kingdom are we serving? And so as I consider and think about what the next step, what the next stage is, really it's quite simple, is is that my prayer is that every one of you will prioritize seeking first his kingdom this week. Join us for prayer tomorrow night, that'd be wonderful, but in your own private time, that you will actually prioritize his kingdom. Not our activities, not even if those activities are great, but actual one-on-time with you and the Lord, prioritizing his kingdom, your kingdom come.